But if you don't know, my name is Les Cody. I'm the lead pastor here at Mercy Culture Waco. It is such an honor and privilege to have you with us here tonight in the tent. How many of you are hot? We know it. We're working on that. We've got uh, the building right across this parking lot right there that you saw when you build, when you drove in tonight. We own that building and we are, come on. It belongs to the Lord and we are in the midst of remodeling that right now. So we're gonna be in that facility in just a few short months. They're telling me we will be in by the end of the year. We're so excited. It's gonna be awesome. And tonight, we have with us in the building, the bishop, the minister. Will Ford is with us tonight. We will welcome him in a moment. But if you don't know Will Ford, just, just hold on to your seats. Just buckle up, because it's about to be an, an amazing night tonight. But we want to welcome you to Mercy Culture Church. Thank you. Thank you. We're good. We want to welcome you to Mercy Culture Church. He's, he's in the zone. We want to welcome you to Mercy Culture tonight. Uh, the vision of Mercy Culture Church is to take people from corporate encounters with God to daily personal encounters with God. How many of you enjoyed that corporate encounter that we just had? Come on. Thank you, worship team. What does that mean? That means that at Mercy Culture, it's never been our goal to just have great services. It's never been our goal to have you just come to church, come to church, come to church to experience the presence of the Lord. Why we are so grateful to experience God's presence corporately. We know that you can experience the presence of God and encounter the living God every day in your own home, in your car. My wife does in her closet every morning, wherever it might be that you can encounter God's presence every single day. And uh, we believe that uh, in a lot of places around the world that the church has sometimes done a disservice to us and that it's sort of been implied that if you don't connect with God the same way that the pastor or the worship leader connects with God, that you've done something wrong. Now, we know that there is one way to the Lord, and that is through Jesus. But in Jesus, there are many ways to connect with God. And some of you connect with God through, a, through creativity and some through learning and some through conversation and some through experience. There are many ways to connect with the Lord. And the way that we help you figure that out and we disciple you is through a process that we call MC Connect. It's your first step to joining Mercy Culture Church. And it's also the way that we help you discover how you best connect with God. And we present you with a daily encounter guide to just help you on your journey to building this daily relationship and walking in the presence of God every day. If you haven't done so yet, I encourage you text the word connect to 59090, the number on your screen right there, and we will connect you and take you through that process. Learn a bit more about the vision, the values, the leadership standards, and the culture of Mercy Culture Church. But tonight, I am so excited to welcome a dear friend of mine, a man that over the last year or so has become very dear to my wife and I's heart, him and his wife, De Havilland, who will be preaching here as well. <laughs> We're going to have to extra weld the poles down because they might just shoot right up off the off the parking lot, but Will and De Havilland Ford are two of the most uh, impactful and meaningful and necessary prophetic voices in our nation today. And we are honored and privileged to welcome him tonight to Waco, Texas. Honor is one of the values of mercy culture. So church, let's stand to our feet, put our hands together and honor Will Ford tonight. 
bless you. Love you. Ah, bless the Lord. Come on. It's an honor. Such an honor to be here, be in Waco. My goodness. So, here in Waco, but you know, move from Dallas to Fort Worth. So, closing our house in Fort Worth last Friday. Come on. <laughs> so excited about that. Had to go through a little bit of war for my goodness. We were there three days, and all of a sudden, junk started coming up in the master bedroom shower of a new bill. We had the house built, right? So, in the new bill. So, both toilets were clogged up. Then, all of a sudden, junk started coming up out of the shower and into the bed into the master bedroom, into our master closet, the whole nine. So I had to, how many of y'all had to walk through a little bit of junk? <laughs> a little bit of crap, I had to put up with some crap, the devil's crap a little bit. But listen, he is a liar. Something must be going on. God is on the throne. The devil is, he's crazy, one, but he's, <laughs> but he's a defeated foe. And I'm so excited about being with y'all because something must be up. All right, something must be up with us moving into Fort Worth to get more connected to, to mercy culture. Something must be up. I'm telling you, the glory of God is going to visit every place that the, the, the MC is connected to. And I'm telling you, there's something up with y'all being here in Waco. There's something up. I bless Antioch and every other church and every apostolic hub that is here. But God, but God needed the DNA that's on the Cody's to be here to release another deposit to take Waco to the next level of what he wants to do. Not just in Waco, but all up and down. I saw when they were praying for him, when Laurel and and Emmanuel and all were praying for me early. I saw all up and down I-35 that God was making I-35 and Isaiah 35 highway of holiness. Going from all the way down from, uh, from Minnesota, you know, I-35 starts in Minnesota. The headwaters of the, of the Mississippi start in Minnesota. I saw from Minnesota all the way down to Laredo. That God was going to move. There's something. Come on, let's stand up. Let's pray in the spirit just a little bit. I see even this fellowship, your intercession is about to go to a whole nother level. So, Father, we thank you, Lord, that I-35 becomes the highway of holiness in the name of Jesus. And God, we thank you, Lord, that every unclean thing gets pulled down. Every unclean thing gets exposed from sex trafficking to drug trafficking to everything else in the name of Jesus. Every high thing pulled down, every low thing raised up in the name of Jesus. Every valley raised up, every mountain pulled down, every stronghold that's hindering the kingdom. Lord, all up and down Highway 35, I thank you, Lord, for your spirit moving in Jesus' Name. Cartels being exposed. Drug trafficking being exposed. Sex trafficking being exposed. Captives being set free. We declare I 35 a highway of holiness in the name of Jesus. Ah, oh, come on, give the Lord a clap and a shout. Something's up. So I have the good privilege of stepping into your pastor's teaching series. On word or not, I'm excited about it. You know why, Lord? I'm excited about it because it's Lauren, right? Lauren Lane is over there. But anyway, I'm excited about it because it's like my second or third time teaching on it. In 20, 30 years of preaching and doing what I'm doing, I've operated in word or knowledge, but the first time I taught about it was oh, a couple of months back when uh, Pastor, uh, uh, Pastor Landon, thank you. <laughs> Pastor Landon asked me to preach on it. 
and I did a deep dive study on it, and it rocked my world. So I wanted to release that deposit here. You know why? Because y'all are going to operate, start operating words of knowledge in ways you never know before. God's going to expand your thinking on word of knowledge, not just to be about bad backs. God gave me a, a word of knowledge for somebody with a bad back. No, God's going to give you also a word of knowledge for broken systems. Yes. This is not just for a healing ministry or something that just stays in the temple. This is something that goes on your job. God wants to release words of knowledge, give you dreams, encounters. I'm going to give you stuff to <laughs> just increase your faith. And also, stuff I didn't get to talk about last time, but I teach on a lot related to dreams and word of knowledge. I want to share with you also, too, the crazy dreams that God gave me. I've been praying for 18 years for Roe v. Wade to be overturned. Remember we gave that prophetic word? Back in like the was in March or whatever, that in this in this summer that Roe v. Wade be overturned, and I've been praying to that for at least a good twenty years, even more than that. But but God gave me dreams and other people's dreams, how to pray for the Supreme Court justice who were coming on the court, weren't even in the court yet. So I just want to increase your faith in that area, because listen, everybody's talking about the uh, global reset and all, all of these other things. Listen. When that got overturned, the whole world has gone into a reset. Everybody's had to change the way they think about the child in the womb. Everybody has to change the way they think about sex. Everybody has to change the way, all of a sudden we know what a woman is now. Everything has changed. It's a massive reset. And what God is gonna use the church to do is with power of truth and love. Everybody say love. And truth, we're gonna woo and love people into the kingdom. Listen, there are more crisis pregnancy centers than there are abortion clinics. Did you know that? That's been that, that since 2007. Yeah, so the church has not been behind the A-ball like some people say, well, y'all have y'all don't want babies. That's not true. I have, I have one friend, she's a she's adopted over 15 children. Yeah, African American young lady, her uh, Paula Cornelius, her and her family. What I'm saying is. Yeah, it's time for us to step up, but we already stepped into this. We've already become a province always to society, but even in greater ways, through word of knowledge, God wants to release a deposit up on you all here in Waco to expand spiritual territory and release the kingdom of heaven. So, turn on your Bibles or turn with me in your Bibles. I'm going to go a couple of places. I'm going to jump around a bit. I'm going to lay a, a foundation, and then we're just going to dive into this thing. John chapter 4. 7 through 15, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. But he, was, he and the disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God, who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. How many of you need living water? Right, especially in this, <laughs> this heat. Uh, they, they were saying to me earlier, well, it's hot in here, isn't it? I said, yeah, you're welcome. Because I feel like I'm on fire. <laughs> so you feel a little warm, you're welcome. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's the presence, of the, the presence of the Lord is here, y'all. God's going to move tonight. All right, and so if you knew the gift of God and who was giving it to you, you would ask him, he would give you a living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us his will and drank from it in himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks from this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him 
will never thirst again. Be thirsty again. The water which I give to him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty. I have to come here to draw water. Isn't that powerful? Now, I have one more scripture. It's in Genesis. Genesis 45, verses 26 through 28, says this. Then the sons of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them wagons according to the command of Pharaoh and gave them provisions for the journey. To each of them, he gave changes of garments, but to Benjamin, he gave 300 pieces of silver, five changes of garments. To his father, he sent as follows, 10 donkeys loaded with the best things of Egypt, 10 female donkeys loaded with grain and bread and sustenance for his father on the journey, and told him, saying, Joseph is yet alive. He is governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart fainted, for he believed them not. And they told him with all the words of Joseph, which he had said unto them, and when he saw the wagons which Joseph sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. Everybody say revived. And Israel said, it is enough. My son, Joseph, my son, is yet alive. I will go and see him before I die. All right. People need to see the gifts to know that Jesus is alive. Can I pray for you guys? Father, we thank you for giving us your son. And then he gave us the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for not just the proof that Jesus is alive, but thinking that he's alive through all of us. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask for the spirit of wisdom and revelation to be released in our midst. And God, we thank you for the gifts you've given us. But would you release in our presence, Lord, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, words of revelation, that this wouldn't just be a teaching, and this wouldn't just be me just being a messenger, but God, let me, could you help us carry your mail tonight? For somebody that's watching, it's for somebody that's here in this room. We buy every demonic spirit that we're trying to hinder or thwart what you want to do here tonight. We thank you, God, for all that you're doing. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. amen. Okay, so I got my, my favorite armor bearer with me here tonight. Mr. Benjamin, he's my, one of my youngest sons. Benjamin, stand up. He's 10 years old. Stand up, stand up, stand up. Woo! Okay. I know, I know. You ain't so when I do that, but. <laughs> all right. So the Benjamite is in the house. So powerful dreamer. And my wife, my God, my wife's one of those powerful preachers. I'll be talking about her, about her a little bit as we go through this. But uh, before I dive off into this, let me tell you just a little story why the gifts of the Spirit are so important and what God does with us through the gifts. It's, it's kind of like the, what I call it, the, the, the romance of the gospel. The romance of the gospel is when God takes us and he, you know, takes us places we wouldn't normally go before when we get into the car with him. This is that scripture that says, where's the glory of God to conceal a matter and the glory of kings to find a thing out or to search a thing out? What does that mean? You ever seen that scripture and wonder, what is this all about? Well, <clears throat> I know what that's, that's kind of like. Um, and uh, one good way to describe it, I, I heard uh, one guy talking about how, uh, now I don't, I don't necessarily do the Easter egg hunt kind of thing, <laughs> but, Doing Easter egg hunts. Now, if you were to put out little things for your, your kids to find or whatever, 
you wouldn't put it in places where they couldn't find it, right? I mean, you're a pretty bad dad if you say, you know what, they're not going to find this one. You dig a big hole, you throw the egg down or whatever down there, the gift down there, and you cover it up and put semen on and say, ha, find that one. No, a good dad, a good grandpa, whatever, is looking around the corner and saying, oh, they're getting close. They're getting close. Or, or they're playing hide and seek. What does he do? Stick this foot out a little bit so you can find him. Right? I try to trick my kids. I would put shoes down where I'm not there under the covers. They pull them back. Ah, he's not there. Right? But then they find me someplace else. But then we find each other in this, you know, this is great, like, connection. But then there's other times, especially with... Uh, how God romances us with the gospel, where he takes us on journeys that we wouldn't have gone on before because he knows what he's placed inside of us. So what that looks like, sometimes I'll take my wife on a date <laughs> and I won't tell her where we're going, but I'll tell her what to wear. I say, put on, put on this or put on that and this is the right occasion. So we'll go different places. And uh, one time I did that and we went to uh, this really cool place I didn't tell her uh, ahead of time where we were going. I didn't tell her ahead of time where we were going. And uh, you ever into one of those uh, uh, airplane, like jumping simulation things? You know what I'm talking about? It's like one big wind tunnel is what it is. All right? And uh, you actually get in there and you can actually like fly around. It simulates you jumping out of an airplane. I knew, we sh I knew she would love that, but I knew she wouldn't go unless I like kind of prompted her. So. We get to the place, y'all, and uh, she's like, Wilford, where are we going? I'm like, ah, oh, you'll see when we get there. Am I going to like this? Oh, yeah, you, you, you'll love it. Where are we going? So we finally get to the place. I pull up, and before she gets out, she's like, you are taking me inside that place? There's no way, Wilford. I'm getting out of this car and getting in there. And y'all, the first thing she did was she got out the car, and she started walking straight to the building. I'm not going up that elevator. She went right all the way up the elevator, right, right to the top. And they said, I'm not putting on that jumpsuit and getting in that thing. And she, sure enough, as she's talking, she's putting on the jumpsuit. I'm not putting on those goggles. She put on the goggles. I'm not flying around in there. I said, okay, let me, let me, let me do it first. I'll do it first. So I got in there and <sighs> I flew around a little bit. I mean, not that good, but. She actually did way better than me. She actually got up enough nurse and said, yeah, I can do this. Next thing I knew. I mean, she's doing tricks, right? They take her around, they're doing tricks. I mean, oh, it was, and she had so much fun. It was so exciting. It was my glory to conceal it. But it was her glory to find it out. That's how it is in your walk with God. It's the same way. It's the glory of God to conceal it, man. It's the glory of our glory to search it out. There are some things in your Christian walk you won't step into unless you search it out. And sometimes you give him, when you give him the keys and give him the room, he will take you places you wouldn't have, known, wouldn't have wanted to go otherwise, but he knows what's inside of you. He knows how he created you. He knows what he placed, and all of a sudden, boom, the gifts of the Spirit start popping up in powerful ways when you get in these places because it's the glory of God to conceal the matter, his glory to find the thing out. And so that's what I see with the gifts of the Spirit. So let's talk about these gifts. You see this even too with this, this story of the woman at the well. It's a powerful story. One of the things that's really key about it, one, yeah, so Jesus and a woman, they had that old gender dynamic going on there, the relationships between men and women. But the other thing is that she's a Samaritan. The Jews and the Samaritans had like 800 years of racial conflict with each other, right? And so uh, think about, you know, a little time where we had, you know, social distancing, revealed the social distance in our hearts. 
with the quarantines, right? Imagine 800 years of conflict where you think that this group of people is going to defile you if you come in contact with them. That's how the Samaritans thought about the Jews. That's how the Jews thought about the Samaritans. They had that kind of level of hostility toward each other. Jesus asking her for a drink of water would have been like a black man and a white man talking to each other about drinking from each other's fountains back in the 50s. That's how intense it was. And so when she, she, she says that, she's talking about, hey, why are you even talking to me? And so then all of a sudden, Jesus started getting words of knowledge about who her husband was and who her husband wasn't. And before she knew it, she was putting down her water pot and became a living well herself and began telling everybody about Jesus. Why? It was his glory to conceal it. It was her glory to find and search a thing out. So talking about expanding spiritual territory, 1 Chronicles 4.10 says it like this. Jabez called upon the God of Israel saying, Oh, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge and expand my territory that you hand might be with me that you would keep me from harm or evil that I would not bring any pain. And God granted what he asked. Listen, we're in a season where God is expanding spiritual territory. And I'm so glad God's put me in the territory of four. We're back again because now I feel like something is, something is being enlarged, even in our own family and our own lives. So talking about the gifts of the Spirit, Pastor Cody has been hitting on these already, but uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 and 2 says, now concerning the spiritual gifts, brother, would not have you be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray by mute idols. However, you were led. <clears throat> and then uh, he goes on, 1 Corinthians 13, 8 and 10, he says what? Love never fails. Where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they'll be restrained. Where there is knowledge, it'll be dismissed. Right? So some people try to use this to say that the gifts of the Spirit aren't for the day. Do we still need knowledge? Yes. <laughs> right? And so... Uh, for we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial passes away. So the gifts of the Spirit are to operate through the fruit of the Spirit. You only have authority over that which you love. Remember that, all right? So um, let's talk about these gifts of the Spirit. Wisdom, what is it? Supernatural application of God's Word. Word of knowledge. That's what we're going to focus on tonight. The supernatural ability to know and understand the mysteries of heaven and earth. Faith. The ability to believe God for the impossible. Healing. The journey of holiness of a person's mind, body, or spirit to operate in the way God intended. Miracles. Supernatural power. The manifestation of the impossible. Prophecy. The empowerment of the Holy Spirit to edify, warn, announce, or reveal the future. Uh, discerning between the spirits, the ability to know by what spirit a person is motivated, the ability to know what spirit is in operation, tongues, the ability to pray the mysteries of God, and strengthening the spirit of a man through a heavenly language, interpretation of tongues, the supernatural ability to understand and receive revelation from a language you did not learn. So, who are the gifts of the spirit for? One, everybody, right? Everyone. <laughs> Uh, next, what are the gifts of the Spirit for? The, the tools to advance the kingdom. Where are the gifts from? Of course, they're from God. James 1.17 says that. But then, uh, when were the gifts given? When? When Jesus gave them. We saw what happened there in the upper room encounter. But also, why are the gifts of the Spirit important? Why are the gifts of the Spirit important? One, they reveal uh, 
that revealed Christ, but then also, too, there's something about the witness of the gifts of the Holy Spirit that revealed that Christ is still alive. You actually see an Old Testament type and shadow of that in Genesis 45 and 26. I read it earlier. Let me read it for you again. So what, in this scenario, what's happened is Joseph, of course, he's been separated from his father for 22 years. What does his father believe? He believed that Joseph has been dead all this time. Sons came back to him with a, with a torn uh, tunic, which was, you know, the coat of many colors, but it had blood all over it because the, the the, the, his brothers made it look like he is dead. Put blood over it. They, they, sh- they shredded it, and they said, oh, maybe he was killed by a wolf or something, but really they sold their brother what, into slavery. You know that whole story, right? But here's after the reconciliation, they get reconciled, and now Joseph, who's become a ruler in Egypt, he's saying, you know what? The king of Egypt says that Pharaoh says all of our family can come now and live in Egypt. So they go to round up their father, but the father doesn't believe him until he sees something. Look at what it says here. It says, uh, and they told him, saying, Joseph is yet alive and is governor of all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart fainted, for he believed them not. But they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said unto them, And check this out. And when he saw the wagons, what did did he see? The wagons were his gifts, right? And when he saw the gifts that Joseph sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. And Israel said, it's enough. Joseph, my son, is yet alive. I will go and see him before I die. In other words, when they told him their opinions and they told him what they saw, there's one thing. But when they told him what the son said... Because he understood his son's voice. He understood how his son talked. That was a witness to Jacob in that moment. But then when he looked and saw the gifts that his son sent to get him, he knew nobody sends those kind of gifts except my son Joseph. It's the same way for us, y'all. When we tell people our opinions, that's one thing. But when we tell them what Jesus said, It pricks their ears, but then when we start showing them the gifts of the Holy Spirit, they know, oh my God, something gets revived inside of people, and they go, oh my God, Jesus is alive. Amen. This is a beautiful Old Testament understanding and revelation of this. So, So when I first dove into this study... I was looking at word of knowledge, and so I thought that the word for word of knowledge there in the Greek, there in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it says word of knowledge. I thought that that word for, for the Greek word for word, there will be rhema, right? And as a good old red-blooded charismatic, don't you love that word rhema? Rhema is what that, that when you get the quickening, you know, you, the rhema is that inspired word of God in the moment, right? Word. All of a sudden, the word becomes like something that, boom. Like, you get quick and like, oh, you know that from back in the day, Kojic days, ho, oh, day, 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 shot, whatever. I don't know why in the Kojic church, everybody, when they spoke in tongues, it was day, day, day. I was like, who is day, day, and Boshai? I didn't know who that was. <laughs> hey! Similarly, guys, y'all had it too. <laughs> but you get the glad, the quickening on the rain, the rain word. And so we taught that the rhema word was like more exciting, but then the logos word, oh, the logos, that just means written word. Hold up, not so fast. Logos is way broader than just written word. It means actually more than that. 
So let me read to you from my notes, because I want you to get this in your spirit. Logos is different from rhema. Well, I would get excited about rhema because it means the inspired revelatory word of, from God for a given moment or situation which is great. However, we've reduced the meaning of logos to simply the written word, but it's so much more. Logos was for Greeks a principal way of understanding how the world unifies in an orderly cosmos. Remember, this book was written to a lot of people in the Greek Greco-Roman world. Here's what Nancy Piercy says about the word Logos. She said, despite the differences amongst all the other major civilizations have believed in a divine order that lays down the law for both natural and human realms that unified the world into an orderly cosmos, preventing randomness and chaos. In the Far East, it was called Tao. In the ancient Egypt, it was called Ma'at. The Greeks also had a term for the underlying principle that unifies the world into an orderly cosmos, as opposed to randomness and chaos. They called it the Logos. The Logos. That was the principle by which they understand that the unseen prevented chaos in the seen. That was their principle. The story philosophers conceived it as multi-gods, pantheistic mind pervading the universe, but the apostle John applied the term to Christ. He said, in the beginning was the word. And the word he used there for word is not Ramus, Logos. So if Jesus is the Logos, we need to understand what Logos is, right? So it says that in John's one, so every Greek philosopher in that day and that time, they realized something that we don't. John was referring to Logos not as a principle, but as a person. Not as a concept, but as Christ. John's gospel balls the Greek word for this universal plan of creation, Logos, and in the startling move, identifies it with a personal being, Jesus Christ himself. In other words, Jesus himself is the source of the comprehensive plan or design of creation. So Jesus Christ is the Logos. He's the building block for all things seen and unseen because all things were created by him and for him and to him. Every Greek who heard John's gospel understood that he was claiming that Christ himself is the source of the order and the coherence of the universe. As Paul put it, in him all things hold together. Creation has a rational, intelligible order that reflects God's creative plan the word logic actually comes from the word logos. So you can't have anything logical without being built up on the building block of the logos, Christ himself. And when Mr. Logos show up, the rhema kicks in. And that's his, as my friend Dean Briggs says, he says, logos is God's infinite eternal logic revealed into our finite space and time. And he all of a sudden, all of a sudden he brings order into our chaotic world when his logic kicks into our realm. Isn't that powerful? So, knowledge is the Greek word. So, so you had logos, right? So, word of knowledge, logos, word of knowledge. So, there's a couple of different Greek words for knowledge. One word for, for knowledge, which I thought this would be the one that's there, is epinosis or epigenoso. And that's this word for experiential, intimate Knowing, Like Christ, uh, Paul said that when he talked about Christ, he said that I would know him and the power of his resurrection and his pain and his suffering. We stop at the other part. We don't want to talk about pain and suffering. When you go through pain and suffering, it's just an invitation to go into deeper intimacy with Jesus. People, everybody wants resurrection power, but nobody wants to die to self. 
We can know him in suffering, but we can also know him in resurrection power too. But you can't get to the resurrection if you won't die to self and go through a little bit of something with a smile on your face. Walking through the poop at the same time. In the middle of all that junk, we just started praising the Lord in the midst of everything. Come on. So, but the interesting thing, the word there is not epigenosco. It's just gnosis. Gnosis just means to know. But when you have experiential, intimate relationship with Christ, just his little bit of gnosis from his logos realm comes into our little finite world and changes everything. That makes sense? So he wants to release words of knowledge to us to make bring order into our chaos, but we have to be in relationship with him. So when we experientially pursue Christ to know him, through intimacy, he gives us logos words in our chaotic fallen world, granting us his gnosis knowledge that reveals Jesus is alive and is among us. We're going to pray and see if we can tap into that tonight. Words of knowledge are God's inspired thoughts coming into our human minds, and they come in different ways to help us understand mysteries in heaven and also in earth. Now, some, some of y'all, uh, like for me, you get pictures. How I many you get pictures or whatever? You're praying for somebody else, you see something, right? It's not like sometimes some of y'all see, how many of y'all have had an open vision where you see something right in front of you? Uh, I'm not jealous, I'm not jealous, I'm not jealous, I'm not jealous. Never, I've had one of those when I saw my wife in a wedding dress before, I, yeah, before we were dating. <laughs> I've only had one of those. Um, but I get things sometimes in my, in, like, in my mind or whatever. I get a picture, I see something like laying there praying for me. I saw I-35 becoming this highway of holiness. So um, that's one. Another, word, another way you get words and all this, sometimes I just... Boom, all of a sudden you just know something you didn't know before. Right? And you just, you just get a word, whatever, from the, from the Lord, and it's just it's there. Um, that's one way. Sometimes you get words of knowledge through different feelings on your body sometimes. Like, there, there, was, a, there was a time where I had something, uh, like, with my elbow. And I'm like, what's going on with my elbow? I was like, no, this is for somebody in the room. And all of a sudden, you know, we ask, is there somebody here that, that something's going on with your elbow? And there's somebody with a tennis elbow or something. We pray for them, and the Lord touched them. So there's different ways that God does that, but you have to be sensitive to what the Holy Spirit wants to do, right? Remember the scripture where it says that uh, Jesus, well, John the Baptist baptizes Jesus and the dove comes down and it rests on his shoulder, right? Can you imagine having a dove rest on you, right? Doves, those y'all study birds, or what? doves are pretty fickle. They don't just land anywhere and stay. Can you imagine having a dove just fall on you and you you kind of have to, if you want it to stay, you kind of have to walk around with the dove in mind. You know, you kind of have to walk and you just kind of, is he still there? I haven't done anything to offend you, have I? Do I have you in the right environment? Listen, believers, God wants us to be in a place where we walk around with the dove in mind. You want to operate in this stuff, you don't want to offend the Holy Spirit. You don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. You don't want to be in a place that you walk around with the dove in mind. Amen. And so you'll, you'll grow more in the gifts of the Spirit uh, in, in that area. So now beyond just word of knowledge for healing backs or whatever, like I said, 
not just a ministry setting, something that happens on Sunday morning, Sunday evening, a tent. God wants this to be part of your everyday walk in every sphere of your life. So we're going to give you examples of that. It also happens through dreams. We'll talk about that. Words and all that come through dreams. How many of y'all are dreamers here? Come on. Yeah, uh, matter of fact, sit, you get dreams and you need help interpret them, send it to me because I love to interpret dreams. I've been doing that for over 20 years. We'll talk about that tonight too. Uh, even some of our students, we train them in that. So let, let me dive into this. So the first time, first time I ever received like anything prophetic or a word or not, it was from my grandmother. Right, my grandmother, there in Fort Worth, Texas, I told y'all I grew up in Fort Worth. I was 16 years old, went to visit my grandmother, drove her to see her, and uh, she was something else. Uh, but uh, she, she pointed out in the backyard, and she said, Pookie, because that's, that's my nickname, growing up. Uh, matter of fact, when I crossed the stage, when I went to O.D. Wyatt High School in Fort Worth, when I crossed the stage, everybody called me by my nickname, Pook. You know, My mother got mad because she thought people were booing me, but... That's the nickname she gave me, so let's cut it off. Pook. When I scored a bucket, pook. You know, <laughs> I was pretty good basketball. I was okay basketball player. Don't let the patent leather converse fool you. I cross y'all up. I'm 56, but I still got a couple of moves. <laughs> but uh, she said, "You see that? You see that pot in the backyard?" I said, "What pot?" She said, the, the pot that's sticking up out halfway out the ground in the backyard. I said, no, I don't see it. She said, boy, don't you see that blankety blank pot sticking up out of the blankety blank? My, my grandmother was kind of like Madea, right? She, she <laughs> quote scripture, but she cussed you out too. You know, she would. <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, ma'am. I see it. I see it. I see it. Then she, there's something just came over. Boy, God's going to use you with that pot someday. God's going to use you with that pot someday. What's the big deal about that pot? She said, that pot comes from slavery. The slaves in your family used to use that pot. They used it for cooking. They used it for washing clothes. But secretly, they used it for prayer. I'll make sure when I pass, that pot goes, from, goes to your daddy. And then also, I'll make sure it's going to go to you. Because God's going to use you with that pot someday. So sure enough, I got that pot. I take it around the country. And uh, I use it to represent the prayer bowls in heaven. Like Revelation 5 and 8 says what? They're golden bowls in heaven full of incense, which are prayers of the saints. They use that pot to, couple, to muffle their voices so the master wouldn't hear them as they pray. But so I, I've been taking that story and talking about not just the enslaved Christians who are African-American, but also the white Christian abolitionists and revivalists who risked their lives to contend for their freedom. I've been talking about for years, since 2000, 2001, how God used the prayers of that godly remnant to pray in the greatest revivals that ended slavery, right? And he wants to do the same thing again today. Listen, there's a prayer bowl over Waco, y'all. Yeah, there's a prayer bowl over, over Texas. There's a prayer bowl over this. God's looking for a new generation to resource the prayer bowls once again. Right? So then I, I had this dream with Dr. King in, and God dealt with me my, my unforgiveness issues that I had with racism that I experienced growing up. And so um, shared that with a good friend of mine, Lou Wingle. He said, hey, share that dream and bring your kettle. Share that story. We'll be at the, we'll be at the Lincoln Memorial MLK Celebration Day, January 17, 2005. Bring your pot, share that story, share the dream. Well, there was a white guy who was led to that gathering because of a dream. He had a dream about a man named Lou Engle, and he had never met him before. 
and they were praying for revival and praying for the ending of abortion in our nation. And he woke up and he goes, who and what is a Lou Engle? He had never met him before. <laughs> never heard of him before. Types his name in Google, up pops the face of the man that he saw in his dream. It's my friend Lou Engle. At that time, he had no heart for the pro-life movement or anything. So eventually, he comes to that gathering. We meet. We've been friends. We've been friends for 18 years now. It takes me two hours to share the whole story, but fast forward. My friend, his name is Matt Lockett, he found out later on that the Civil War ended in his family's front yard. So we're thinking, man, what a cool coincidence. I got this kettle pot where slaves pray for freedom. Yeah, this house where General Lee fought his last battle. Wow, what a cool coincidence. But y'all, then we stumbled on more research and we learned that it was his family who owned my family where the kettle pot came from. And we met at the Lincoln Memorial, both led by dreams, to the place where Dr. King said, I have a dream that one day the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will sit together at the table of brotherhood. And ever since, I've been... I wasn't expecting all that. God's taking me places all around the world with that kettle pot to share that story. And it's being turned into a movie. Talking to different Hollywood producers about that becoming a movie. Matt finds out he had people in his family who actually fought against slavery. So like all of our families, right, we have these things called generational blessings and generational curses that have these dominating things or storylines. Got to shout into America, what storyline do you want to be a part of? The healing or the hurt, the blessing or the curse. What storyline do you want to be a part of? It's a powerful story. His family also invented the Confederate flag. It's crazy. The whole thing, there's so much more to the story. But it always ignited because somebody said, God's going to use you with that pot someday. Word or not, it comes on my grandmother. They're on the south side of Fort Worth on Verbena Street in Grand, right off Rosedale. And the rest is history. All because somebody paid attention to the dove. That's beside her. Of course, the dove had to put up a little bit of cussing, but that's another story. God bless my grandmother. All right. All right, so, so in other words, if he did it for my grandmother, he'll do it for you and your children, your children's children. Y'all need to start speaking blessings over your children, your children's children. Prophesy their, their purpose, prophesy, prophesy their destiny. All right, so first time I experienced, one of the other times I had this experience, let me see. On an airplane, word of knowledge comes to me on an airplane. On the plane, I'm flying to... Uh, I hop in Kansas City for the first time, get on the plane, and uh, all of a sudden, like, it's like somebody just, put, I felt like a coat come on, to be honest, like the spirit of prophecy just comes on me on the plane. I turned to this young lady next to me, I said, you're from, uh, you're from Southern California, right? She said, yes. I didn't know her, she didn't know me, I said, not LA, but somewhere close. She said, well, I'm from Fresno, but now I live in Long Beach. I said, oh, you go to Long Beach State, right? She said, yes. I said, you're a sophomore there? She said, uh-huh. I said, you're a psychology major? She said, uh, yeah. I said, you have a friend named Tiffany? She said, I have two friends named Tiffany. What's going on? I said, I don't know. I usually don't do this unless there's music playing in the background. I'm not used to doing this on planes. All I know is that God, he really loves you. Jesus has an incredible plan for your life. I saw prophesying about an Esther anointing coming over her life. And this whole thing begins to lift and... Uh, 
I felt like the Lord said to me, ask her her name and tell her there's something very precious about her name. And that, honestly, I, Pastor Les, I kind of looked at the Lord and like, okay, God, this has been so good. Why don't you just tell me her name? <laughs> and God was like, stick with the script. <laughs> ask her her name and tell her there's something very precious about her name. I said, you know, the Lord's telling you there's something very precious about your name. What's your name? She said, my name is Zion. I said, Zion, did you know your name's in the Bible? I turned to Isaiah 62 and started reading it for it. It says, for Zion's sake, I will not keep silent until her name becomes a praise in the earth and her land should be called marriage. She said, okay, this is crazy because I'm flying across the country to be in my cousin's wedding. I said, really? I said, now the Lord's telling me there's something precious about your last name. What's your last name? She said, ready. I said, ready? I said, did you say Redding or ready? I, I, I thought I was hearing things. I thought, she was like, Otis Redding? She said, no, no. She spelled it for me four times, R-E-D-I-E. Her name was Zion Reddy. And she was flying from California to Kansas City to be in a wedding. And the Lord spoke to me and said, just as you prophesied an Esther anointing covering over her life, I betrothed myself to a fatherless Esther generation. And just as you prophesied, that's just as her major was psychology. I'm majoring in the heart of this next generation because a major battle on going for the soul of this next generation. And I'm getting Zion ready for a wedding. And I'm marrying different races. I'm marrying different movements together. And the synergy of this agreement is going to break the power of the death culture in your generation. That was the word I had for her. And so, so somebody... Heard me give, I gave this word, I gave that word for the first time on God TV in 2000, um, 2010 or something like that, and they didn't believe me, so they went to Long Beach State and they found her. Zion Reddy, she was there. And she said, as the first prophetic word she'd ever received, uh, all the things I prophesied over that day came to pass, but she became like this type and shadow. It, honestly, what happened with her became like the model for how I was to pray for the next generation. And actually, uh, ushered into this whole thing with the spirit of, uh, you know, unity and reconciliation that God has had me walk in, all right? So I have other friends that walk in this. Like me, for me, personally, I get a lot of words through dreams because I'm a dreamer. Um, I used to dream like three times a week. You know, Andrew Whalen dreams almost every night, which is not fair, all right? <laughs> but when I, when, when I have it or not married, I dream like I got like one good dream once a month. My wife dreams like three times a week now. Like we got married and boom, all of my dream stuff went to her. But my anointing for interpretation honestly is like gone to another level, right? And so, which is really cool. I love that. But I have, I have other friends, man, who operate in this and they get like social security numbers. <laughs> they get addresses for people. I mean, for real, phone numbers. I have spiritual sons that are like, my ceiling is their floor, and they get words or not. I want to share this stuff with you because I want to encourage your faith. Listen, this is out there yeah, yeah. For, the, for the seeking. If you'll search it out, right. you'll get in the car, and God will take you places you wouldn't otherwise know you, you go to. One of the people who operate like this is my friend, uh, Sean Bowles. Sean Bowles, I get an example of what he walks in. So I remember saw Sean at a gathering. And he just, he was during a time where he was getting words of knowledge real clear like this. So I walked to him, up to him at the end of the meeting. He said, oh, Will, I didn't know you were here. I was praying today, and I felt like God gave me a word for you and your wife to have. But I didn't see you in the room, so I, I should just said it anyway. But I put it in my notes. Can I just read you what I have in my notes? I said, yeah. He said, okay, um, first of all, do the dates November 30th? And uh, June 13th, did those dates mean anything to you? I was like, yeah, that's my birthday and my wife's birthday. 
He said, okay, let me read to you what I have for you. A new man will come to you from Martin Luther King to release justice and be part of a new healing and reconciliation movement. I was like, what? Because I knew he didn't know about the dream that I had with Dr. King. And he said, hold on, let me make sure this is you. Does Fawn Valley in 1017 mean anything to you? I was like, yeah, that's my address. <laughs> and I just went, Urgh. I mean, it, it wasn't even the Holy Ghost. I just got scared, right? Because I had never had anything like that. Well, sure enough, a year later, I wound up in a prayer meeting at the Lincoln Memorial with Dr. King's daughter and niece. We're at the Lincoln Memorial on the anniversary of when he was buried, April the 9th. It's 2016, and uh, we actually did a foot washing with them. We used the kettle for my family and washed their feet. And at the end, they gave out mantles to all of these different major big leaders, you know, Samuel Rodriguez and a uh, whole bunch of other folks. And then they gave one of those mantles to me, little old intercessor me. But then when they put the mantle on me from the King Family Foundation, I thought, hold up, here I am receiving a mantle from the King family on, MLK, uh, on the anniversary when MLK was buried from his family at the Lincoln Memorial where the man gave the speech. Then I thought, Sean Bowles must be a prophet. <laughs> I texted him, he was like, oh, I'm freaking out. You know, we didn't expect it to be that literal. But listen, that's the kind of stuff God is releasing right now. So, just remember, when Mr. Logos releases his knowledge upon you, it's a rhema moment, right? So, here's a really good example, Luke 5, 5, right? Luke 5, Peter is out fishing. Jesus tells him what? Cash your net on the what? The other side. And Peter says to him, hey, we've toiled all night, haven't taken anything in. Nonetheless, at your word, I'll let down the net. Guess what that word is there for word? It's rhema. Wow, because Mr. Logos is there. When Mr. Logos shows up, it's always a rhema moment. All right? So he says, hey, I know fishing, you know preaching, but yet at your word, nevertheless, listen, you have to take risks with this stuff. On the other side of nevertheless, you could be stepping into a rhema moment. Take the risk. Faith is spelled R-I-S-K. Yeah, that's right. Right? You got to take risks with this thing. So he casts his net on the other side, and guess what happens? He brings in this huge haul of fish. You read the story. He had to call in other fish from the other, uh, other fishermen who were on the bank to help him because his nets were breaking. Listen, this actually happened yeah. to somebody that I know. It's 2008. Mark Eden is a fisherman in Alaska. His daughter... Uh, was a student of mine, a spiritual daughter of mine, a Christ for the Nations, Crystal. She told me this amazing story that was all around Alaska where, where, he, where he fishes. It was one of those summers where they'd already forecasted there was going to be a bad like, fishing season for them all, and it was. It stunk. <laughs> and they were out fishing, and all the other boats had gone in, but Mark was about to go back in, but then he gets a word of knowledge from the Lord, and the Lord says, cash your net on the other side, out into the water. Now, he's on a 52-foot commercial fishing boat. His net is a mile wide and 12 fathoms deep. 
right? So this is not like just some, you know, cash in it. No, this is a massive thing, massive ordeal with equipment and everything. They have sonar equipment and everything that, that, that looks around for fish down there. And, and uh, the sonar equipment didn't pick up any schools of fish. They're looking to see if there are any jumpers on the water. There are no jumpers. So, but nevertheless, Mark Eden cast out his mile-long net, and they put it out there, and all of a sudden, they started seeing jumpers. And all of a sudden, the water starts to boil. And all of a sudden, his nets began to break, and he had to call to the, to the other guys who, who, who were there doing Netflix and chill on the bank and say, hey, y'all, movie time is over. I need y'all's help. Other fishing boats had to help, and he caught over 256,000 pounds of salmon. 256,000 pounds of salmon, all because he went beyond nevertheless. He took a risk and, it, and broke a record for that, especially that, that time period for, 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 for a haul that year. Listen, God wants to do the same thing with some of y'all in your businesses right now. You have a business right now and you need a word of knowledge from the Lord about something that's going on. Stand up. Yeah, stand up, stand up, stand up, stand up, stand up. All right, y'all next to him. Take your hand out your pocket and put it on them. Father, we thank you for words of knowledge, words of revelation. Come on, pray for it like it's your business. Pray for it like it's your family. Come on, this is our family right now. In the name of Jesus, God, we thank you for uncanny, ridiculous favor. One, coming on these businesses. But God, we thank you for words of knowledge, your logic from the invisible realm, making sense of the scene realm in powerful ways in the name of Jesus to unlock revenue to bring in new resources in the name of Jesus. We thank you for an open heaven over them right now. We thank you for words of knowledge, words of wisdom, words of revelation coming to them in the name of Jesus. Come on, let's give the Lord a clap and a shout. Come on. <laughs> sir, you in the back, I'm so sorry. What's your name, sir? Yes, sir. Could you stand up for me? I just felt like there was, there, even with, with, with you, you're such a faithful man. And uh, you were in a situation with uh, other people in business and ministry where, uh, you know, the thing about betrayal is this. It's always an inside job. And you kept your mouth shut and you walked through that thing. And because of that, you prevented so many Horrible things happening to these other families. God's going to work those other things out. But listen, you're in a season of favor. Yeah, you were betrayed by others. But there's a season of favor coming over your life. There's a season of blessing you're about to step into because of your obedience. Because of your obedience. Because of your obedience, you're stepping into this season of uncanny, ridiculous favor coming over you right now in Jesus' name. This makes sense to you? This makes sense? Yes, bless the Lord. Come on. Thank you, Lord. Come on, something's up. All right. Let me give you a couple other examples of this. This man here is George Washington Carver. Y'all put that picture up. Y'all ever heard the story of George Washington Carver? Did you know that he was a godly Christian man? He was a scientist. Would go into his, his uh, you go into the room, uh, his, his, his laboratory, with nothing but a notepad, his Bible, and a pen. And he would spend time with God, and God gave him incredible inventions 
through powerful words of knowledge. Here's what he said. He said, when I was young, I said to God, tell me the mystery of the universe. But God answered, that knowledge is for me alone. So I said, tell me the mystery of the peanut. And God said, well, George, that's more than nearly your size. And he told me. <laughs> Here's what he said. So he goes on a fast. Why? Because at that time period, the... Uh, uh, there was, it was during the Dust Bowl era and the farmers didn't know how to replenish the, the nutrients in the soil. They would deplete everything because of cotton, right? And cotton really depletes the soil so nothing would grow. But George Washington Carver figured out that if you planted peanuts, it would replenish the soil. But he couldn't get the other farmers to find a reason to plant peanuts other than to just uh, use them just for, for, for eating. So, he goes on a 10-day fast. And here's what the Lord told George Washington Carver. He said, the Lord told me, separate the peanut into water, fats, oils, gums, resins, sugars, starches, and amino acids. Then recombine these under my three laws of compatibility, temperature, and pressure. Then the Lord said, then you will know why I made the peanut. Out of that, he came up with over 300 uses and inventions for the peanut. And when farmers saw that, they started planting peanuts. <laughs> And it saved the South during the Dust Bowl era and united the races and everything else. He said this, he said, as I worked on projects which fulfilled a human need, forces were working through me which amazed me. I would often go to sleep with an apparently insoluble problem, but when I awoke, the answer was there. Why then should we, this is what he says, why should then we who believe in Christ, be so surprised at what God can do with a willing man in a laboratory. Some things must be baffling to the critic who has never been born again. All right? You see, I love to think of nature as an unlimited broadcasting station through which God speaks to us every hour, if only we will tune in. Then uh, Andrew, Andy Andrews said this. He said, within 10 days, George Washington Carver had discovered more than 300 uses for the peanut. One trip to that special place in the woods to talk with God not only enhanced race relations for the time, but also fundamentally changed the agricultural industry as we know it today. All because he listened to and felt the spirit of God in his life. Word of knowledge. Other way you get words of knowledge also is through dreams. Let's talk about this real quick. Um, you put up the next picture. This man here is William Merrill Voorhees. William Merrill Voorhees, he was an architect, felt the call of God to go to Japan to become a missionary. But while he's there, he was asked to, to build buildings there. They knew about him being an architect. And the Lord says, I want you not to lay down being an architect, but use it in your mission. And use your, your skills I give you to be an architect to win souls and then bring those people into your architecture practice and train them up so that you can lead them to business later on. That's literally what he did. And uh, while he was there, you know, Japan had a problem with earthquakes and buildings falling. So one day, William Merrill Voorhees had a dream. And in the dream, God showed him little spacers he could put in certain spots in buildings to keep the buildings from falling if there was an earthquake. In other words, William Merrill Voorhees became the man who invented earthquake-proof buildings because he got a word of knowledge and a dream. Also, he had a dream one night, and this wasn't even his field, but he had a dream one night about how um, you could take different ointments and connect it with different herbs and mints, and if you put them together right, 
you could put it on people's you know, chest and you could put it in their nose and it become this vapor that could break up congestion. In other words, William Merrill Voorhees became the man that invented methylatium. He, all because he got it through what? Got it through a dream. Let's show you this next person here. This is uh, Madam C.J. Walker. How I many of y'all know the story of Madam C.J. Walker? For those who don't know, real quick, she was a she was a former slave, comes out of slavery, and uh, married a couple of times, horrible relationships, men beat her, whatever. She gets divorced for a second time. She gives her life to the Lord in the midst of all of that crisis that she was going in her life. She gives her life to the Lord, and all of a sudden, her hair starts falling out. And everybody else who was working the sharecroppers, whether on that plantation where she was, their hair was falling out too. And she said, okay, God, I can't take it, and I need help with this. And so that night, she has a dream. And the Lord shows her roots and berries she can send out for back in Africa that she can combine with some other things that she had that will help her hair to grow. Well, what did she do? She did the dream. How many of y'all do the dream? Yeah, do the dream. So what she does, she orders these things up. Months later, they come in. She puts them all together. She puts it on her hair, and her hair started growing back faster than it was falling out. She gave it to her friends. Their hair started growing back faster than it was falling out. So she started Madam C.J. Walker's Miracle Hair Grow Company. She raised up the whole model that Mary Kay uses. She got it from Madam C.J. Walker. Madam C.J. Walker raised up other women, started them in business, started them. Had, she was a multi-millionaire. She was the first woman millionaire in America, according to the Guinness Book of World Records, because she got a word of knowledge and a dream. And then... She took off. So, like I said, I have spiritual sons and daughters who are stepping into this stuff, and God wants to release this, not just for words and knowledge, for healing, but also other areas of our life. So I have this one spiritual son of mine, Draper Smith, done a lot of ministry here, powerful prophet, my ceiling is his floor. God does amazing things with Draper with, in terms of word and knowledge. So I told Draper I was preparing, preparing for this, and he said, uh, you know, Will, I've stepped into this. He said, just recently, I started doing something I'd never done before because I got a word of knowledge in a dream. He said, in the dream, I saw this block of ice in a glass, and the Lord started teaching me in the dream how to draw it. So he said, I woke up from the dream, and I started to draw, and this is what I drew. This is what he drew. That's not a picture. That's not a photograph. That's what Draper drew the first time when he wakes up from his dream. I believe God has released that kind of creativity over mercy, culture, Waco. Some of y'all going to get dreams, visions, encounters, witty inventions, but can you walk around with a dove in mind? Can you prepare yourself to be open to what the Holy Spirit wants to release and reveal to you? Real quick, I want to share with you how many of y'all are excited about what God has done with the overturn in the row? 50 years. That's happened, right? And we understand the need for where people are right now with what are they going to do with all this and caring for women, but God is concerned about those babies, right? He is. Now, I remember the first time I got a word of knowledge through a dream about this whole thing. It was uh, 2005. A group of us had been praying for revival. We actually had a conference called Reverse the Decree of 73. That was the conference. And then the Supreme Court was going to hear a case that was going to be we thought they were going to hear a case that a friend of mine, Alan Parker, had presented to him, but they denied hearing it. I just couldn't believe that they turned down hearing that case. That night I had a dream. 
cry myself to sleep tonight. I have a dream. In the dream, I'm playing basketball against all, against, against all the Supreme Court justices. And babies and toddlers were my teammates. And in the dream, the justices were in their robes, and they, we were getting blown out. How many of y'all know what a blowout is in basketball? They were about like, not just 20 points, 30, 40, 50 points. We were getting beat pretty bad. In the dream, I was thinking to myself, oh my God, I didn't know these old white people were so quick. They were just, just blowing by me in the dream. But all of a sudden in the dream, I remembered that I played college basketball. And in the dream, I started exerting myself, and in the dream, this justice named David Suda was on the left side of the court, and he shoots a jump shot, and I block his shot. And then another justice named Sandra Day O'Connor got the ball, and she started dribbling back and forth in the middle of the court. And in a dream, I rip her, I steal the ball from her, I go to the other end of the court, I make a layup. We were still losing, but the momentum in the game began to change. I woke up from the dream, and the Lord said to me, stay in the battle for the court with the babies. Remember who you are. I'm raising up those who have blocked the shots of those on the left side of the court, and I'm taking the ball of abortion out of their hands, and the momentum in this game is going to change if you will continue to pray. So we prayed that dream for two months. There was a justice. Sandra Day O'Connor was on the court, but she was this centrist on the court who had kind of changed her views on the life issue while she was on the court and became this person who was became this kind of controlling entity. All of a sudden, we pray the dream. How many of you pray your dreams? Pray your dreams. You start praying your dreams, you get more revelation like this. All of a sudden, two, two months later, Sandra Day O'Connor turns in her resignation and she comes off the Supreme Court. She did, Even years later, they asked her, why she do that? She's like, I don't know. I just felt like I needed to do it. And then William Wincrest dies, so now there's two vacancies on the Supreme Court. One of the girls with us had a dream after a three-day Esther fast. Fasting and praying is part of this. Pursuing the Lord, getting this open heaven, because why? We want to walk around with a dove in mind. We want to be sensitive to him. She gets a dream, and in the dream, a man comes to her and says, John Roberts will be the next Supreme Court justice if you'll pray. We're like, who is John Roberts? Nobody knew him at the time. At the time, President Bush was the president, and he was going to choose someone else, a woman named, Ms. Uh, named Clemens, and so all of our friends who worked for the White House at that time said, no, he's, he, we don't know who this Roberts guy is that y'all talking about, but he's going to choose Clemens. So we looked him up, and at that time, strong pro-life person, worked for William Wincrest as a clerk, had a strong conservative record at that time. That's why we have to pray for these folks, right? Because when they get up there, there's a war going over them, right? So anyway, we prayed, and uh, then a couple of my friends who, in this setting, kind of have to remain nameless, they actually had a friend get them on a tour in the White House and they laid hands on the West Wing door and prayed for the president. And then the next day, President Bush came out and said, you know what, I'm not choosing Clemens, I'm choosing this man named John Roberts. And everybody was shocked and surprised. The only way we found out about his name was through a dream. Then there came another person who was gonna be on the court. We were praying, and all of a sudden, we saw her going to take her seat on the court, but she couldn't sit there because that seat had been reserved for someone else and was reserved, reserved by a green basketball jersey. The jersey, black basketball jersey, what, for the courts, right? Green representing for life. So we prayed, and all of a sudden, she took her name out of the nomination process. Then in steps in to take that place was Samuel Alito, 
who is pro-life and he's from the Garden State. But we had several other dreams like that. The last one, which was crazy, we prayed and um, had, we had a dream about Ruth Bader Ginsburg that her cancer had come back and nobody knew about it and that there was going to be another vacancy in the court. So we prayed for her to get saved. We prayed for God to change her heart and we prayed for the seat. A friend of mine, Matt Lockett, had a dream. In the dream, he turns to someone who was on uh, Trump's administration and he says, remember the name, Amy Coney Barrett. Wakes up from the dream, looks up who this person is, finds out a record. We prayed for her for three years before she gets on the court. So everybody's looking at what, what has happened with this thing. They shifted, what, 6-3? Listen, that's what God wants to do with us in this hour. If we will steward the revelation he's given us in this hour, we can change culture, we can change society. It's not just praying, yeah, somebody has to be actively involved, but we have to pray for these leaders who step in to leadership here in Waco and other places. But God's looking for somebody who wants to walk around with the dove in mind. Amen. Can he trust you with the revelation that he's given you? Or do you want to just use words of knowledge and spiritual tently way so you can say, oh, I had a word about that. And you didn't do anything with it. Come on. So that's what God wants to do in this hour. So Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, God, I thank you for Mercy Culture Wake Up. I thank you for the spirit of wisdom and revelation resting upon this company. And Lord, I thank you, Lord, for the gifts of the spirit especially words of knowledge going to a whole nother level here in the name of Jesus bless the Lord so here's what we're going to do we want to put this into practice alright so the Bible says what test everything and hope fast that which is good right so yeah it's, it's going to take us stepping out taking some risks we're going to do that tonight and pray for some folks and this thing works a whole lot better when we do it as a team because one gets one thing, one, another person. In other words, we prophesy in part, we hear in part. First time I, I shared this message uh, in Fort Worth, uh, Connor, Jasmine's husband, had a, had a word, of, word from the Lord that there was somebody there that had a, uh, uh, had a, a boot of some kind of restraint that the Lord wanted to heal them. So of all the thousands of people there that day, we give that word of knowledge. There was one person there. Little girl, she was 14 years old. Sister told me later on she was actually wavering in her faith. She came forward, and we prayed for her. Minutes later, we looked down. She's sobbing and crying, and that boot is off her. God healed her right there that day in front of everybody in that first morning service. And all of a sudden, she knew that what? He's alive. So let me have uh, some of the ministry team and Pastor Cody and others come up. Stand to your feet. We're going to worship a little bit. Let's just see what the Lord wants to do. So, Lord, we wait upon you. We thank you that you're real, God. <laughs> we thank you that you want to speak to us. In the name of Jesus. Y'all get something, just want to share, whatever, just, just come up. Man, you, you get something, I know you hear from the Lord clear. Jesus' name. Ah. 
Ben and Deidre, if you'll just lift your hands. Let's just stretch your hands towards the Meckles. As Will, just as soon as Will said, you know, if you have something, say it. The Lord just gave me a picture. And what I saw were, were doves, like a flock of doves that gathered around the two of you and your children. And I saw them just gather around you and come up around your arms and your legs and began to flap their wings. And the two of you were elevated to a higher place. And as you were lifted higher, your vision changed and you could see further and wider than you'd ever seen before. And I felt like the Holy Spirit said that this is a season of elevation over your life. Elevation in wisdom, elevation in power, and elevation in authority. God was elevating you in both natural authority and spiritual authority in your lives. And he was going to expand your vision to go farther and wider than you ever thought possible. So Father, elevate the Meckle family. Oh. God, as intimate as their relationship is with you, I pray that it would even be elevated. Father, that with their children, that you would elevate the intimacy that they have with you, God. Lord, I just see waves of the presence of God pouring into your home. I see a, a, a one big room, like a, I've never been to your home, but I see a big family room, and there's like big comfy couches and pillows, and I just see wave after wave of the glory of God pouring into this room. God, elevate their intimacy with you. Elevate their spiritual gifts. Elevate the gift of knowledge and prophecy over their lives. Lord, we thank you for the gift that is the Meckle family. Elevate them in you, in Jesus' name. Thank you. Let's take a, a risk here. I know we, we, were, we were praying earlier and uh, had a word about somebody here believing for their marriage. On the brink, maybe of, of divorce or whatever, but you believe in God to turn a situation around in a marriage. Can you, if that's you, raise your hand. Oh, bless the Lord. Can, if you could, can I get a couple of women just to come around my sister? Just place your hand in the back. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, God, we thank you for a turning in the name of Jesus. And it's, a, it's about the children. You know, it was my son who gave me that word. We were praying, and he said, of all things, like, we only have, we have conversations like that. But he said, I felt like the Lord wanted to heal somebody's uh, situation in marriage or that's on the brink of, 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 of divorce. So, Lord, for the sake of the children, God, turn the heart of this father. In the name of Jesus, back to his wife, back to this family. God, we thank you for a turning of heart. We thank you for the spirit of reconciliation being released in the name of Jesus. God, we thank you for a divine turn. We bind every demonic spirit that's been operating. We thank you for healing. And we thank you for a great turning in the name of Jesus, Lord. We speak your blessing over your daughter right now in Jesus' name. Thank you for healing her heart in this season. And 
Let your presence reside on her in ways she's never known before in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name.